Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. Bob, tell us about your most recent Oh, I've got a great story for you. Trust me, it is, it's a keeper. Welcome, everyone. I'm your co-host, Michelle Lamb. I'm together with Jackie Kirk. Who I'm are Jackie you? Kirk, and I am the Chair of Leadership and Educational Administration in the Faculty of Education. Just let's go around the table and introduce yourselves. Why don't we start with Scott? Yeah. So I'm Scott Forbes. I am an Assistant Professor in the Department of Physical Education here at Brandon University. And I'm Joel Krentz. I'm also an assistant professor and also in the Department of Physical Education. And in this role today, I'm commun- old guy community member uh, that's physically active. My Act- name's Bob- active exercising <laughs> old guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bob Lee. And I also am at the university in the Faculty of Ed, Director of Field Experience and Chair of Grad Studies. Regular exerciser. Regular exerciser. Very true. What do you do for exercise? Uh, well, recently I've been doing kind of a whole host of Tabata-like exercises where you do very intense stretches and or strength exercises like handstands and uh, then a very short break and you go back at it again four times a week. How did you get into that? Enver. He works at BU here and that's Denver without the D. Okay. Enver. He likes to be specific about that. Um, he was holding some classes. I injured my back about a year a year ago past August, and I spent a year really debilitated. And I had been a regular exerciser prior to that. And so finally, a year in, I said, I'm going to make it happen. And I was much healed. And so I've just steadily been able to increase my exercise since starting out again in September. And both of your research deals with exercise and older adults. <laughs> I don't know if that's the Mature. right way. <laughs> Seasoned. Um, Seasoned, yeah. Yeah, so we, we both study uh, effects of exercise, and uh, I'm, I study resistance training, muscle growth, strength um, in younger adults, older adults, kind of in different program designs, and then uh, Scott would be similar with sort of a little bit more of a sport nutrition slant, he'd probably say. Yeah, so studying the effects of nutrition and exercise, the interaction between those two on muscle adaptations, so getting bigger, stronger muscles with supplements like the study that we did on creatine, for example. All right, so maybe you should just talk about how you think some of the things that you've studied would relate to Bob and how he could either continue to maintain his healthy body or he could build it. Yeah, so typically as you age, a couple things happen within your body. Usually you lose muscle mass and you gain fat mass. So we need to do things to counter those typical things that happen with age. And one that Bob's doing very well is exercise. And he's also doing strengthening exercise as well. So um, that Tabata type workout where it's quite intense is very effective to help maintain the muscle that he has. And it's actually possible for even older adults. And we <laughs> typically define that as over the age of 50, just in our research. I feel um, much better about being <laughs> over 50. Yeah. Over, so over the age of 50, um, that you can actually put on muscle. You can actually gain muscle. So people always think, oh, you're just losing muscle. And if you can maintain it, that's a good thing. That's true. But there's actually research to show that you could actually gain muscle with the proper nutrition and proper exer- exercise intervention as well. 
Will you tell us more about Tabata? Sure. Strengthening or whatever. Yeah. Um, so so Tabata is just it's kind of interval based training. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's one form that you, so typically it involves a, a kind of a high intensity portion and then some sort of lower intensity type activity. You can do it with strength exercises, so things like push-ups or lunges or yeah, all um, those handstands things. against a wall, which I've seen Bob do, which is that was surprising and amazing and awesome. But uh, just roll one out, and here then you would you. you would incorporate, and then you do a lower base activity like walking or jogging around the track, for example, and then so okay. basically interspersed periods of high intensity exercise yeah. right uh, which is kind of one of the new new buzz things that works quite well in training and sort of allows you to get a lot of bang in a shorter time and been shown to have good adaptations for a number of things and especially then when you're mixing it in with strength-based training you can kind of get some of these cardiovascular aerobic benefits but also then the strength benefits combined so yeah one of our colleagues and collaborators that we work with, Dr. John Little, he's at UBC Okanagan. He's done a lot of HIT training. So that's high intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. So you do anywhere kind of 10 to 30 seconds or even up to maybe two or three minutes of really high intensity exercise. And you intersperse that with really easy, light activity. And if you do a couple of those intervals, you can get some really good adaptations similar to exercising for like 60 or 90 minutes. So it's a very effective way, efficient way to train. It's hard. You've got to push yourself really hard and it doesn't feel super nice when you're doing it, but you can get really good benefits in a very short period of time. Sometimes I hear people saying you can't out-train a bad diet or those kinds of things. Do you feel like one is more important than the other, exercise versus diet? Your research is sort of looking at the combination, right? Yeah, I would say exercise is more important, mm-hmm. but obviously both are important. So if you want to live your, your mm-hmm. healthiest life, obviously a combination of exercise and nutrition. And probably the simplest way to think of healthy nutrition is eat real food. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always tell my students and people that ask. That's the simplest thing. Is it real? Um, <laughs> and if you eat real food, you're probably going to be fairly healthy. Other things are important as well. I want to mention sleep as well. Mm-hmm. So I always talk about sledgehammers. So there's... <laughs> Three things that are that are really important for health benefits. One is exercise regularly. Number two, eat real food. And number three, get enough sleep. The recommendation for sleep is between seven to nine hours for adults. And lots of people don't get that. So sleep is definitely important for both health. And we also do exercise performance stuff as well. I think that's a good point in terms of our study that we're talking about today, Scott, as well, because our study is looking at sort of the effects of creatine, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that specific supplement, but it kind of goes without saying, or we should say first that basically like doing exercise versus not doing exercise is far more important, or eating healthy food, or doing sort of some of these basic things. The creatine is basically just like the little addition that could give you some benefit, and we do show in our paper and other research does show a benefit to creatine, but some of those things, the sledgehammers, as Scott likes to call them, are kind of the far more important things and the creatine is just the the additional sort of benefit that kind of we're studying in this particular case. The icing on the cake or the protein on the celery perhaps would be a better <laughs> choice. Of... We went to a presentation and that's how they described it was creatine is the sprinkles on top of a 
on top of the icing, so the icing was nutrition, the cupcake was exercise. Mm -hmm. So the creatine is just the sprinkles on the top that can make it a little bit better, but it's just a very small piece of the puzzle. The foundation is your training and the nutrition, and those things can't trump supplements, but the particular supplement we're talking about does show some additional benefits for uh, adaptations like strength training and some of the high intensity exercise. And... So I can't do no exercise and eat a terrible diet and then take creatine and expect wonderful results. Is what you're saying? Absolutely not. It's <laughs> <laughs> not of the magic pill. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the benefits of creatine? Tell us a little bit about some of the outcomes of your research. Yeah, so uh, we've done quite a few creatine studies in combination with exercise. Mm -hmm. So you have to do both. But when you do both, you can get bigger and stronger muscles compared to if you just did exercise and didn't consume creatine. So we've recently did a, a meta-analysis where we combine all the studies out there in the literature together to come up with kind of one final answer. Does it, does it work or doesn't it work? And how much does it actually work? And if you resistance train or strength train and take creatine, you gain about 1.2 kilograms more lean tissue mass or muscle mass, more than if you just resistance train. And so the average, average length of those studies was about 12 weeks. But some of the studies that were included in that meta-analysis were up to a year. So it takes a while to build muscle, but over time, creatine seems like it has an advantage, especially for gaining muscle. Were the advantages across ages, across genders, did you look at some of that? Yeah, so we, uh, our meta-analysis, we actually looked at older adults or aging adults, so those over the age of 50. But there's also been studies in younger individuals as well. It's quite a popular supplement for like bodybuilders, and that's mm -hmm. where it originally stemmed from. People were taking these supplements to enhance sport performance. But now it's been shown to be effective in the aging population to help them maintain muscle or get more muscle, which can be beneficial for multiple reasons. So the particular study that we're sort of talking about today actually was a little bit different though than what Scott sort of traditionally described. So if there's, I don't know how many studies out there on creatine, the large majority of them would be looking at things like strength and muscle mass, but the meta-analysis that we recently performed was on fat mass. And so generally there is this increase in weight and lean body tissue, but some of it's water, which would also be sort of considered lean body tissue. But I think there's sort of a, almost a stigma that maybe people thought you could have some subsequent increase in fat mass when you have this increased body weight. You see the number on the scale go up uh, and you think, oh, oh, is that a bad thing or what's going on? And so if you get into some of the mechanisms, some of that added water may actually be playing a part in sort of expanding the cell and causing it to signal growth. And Scott can probably talk about that a little bit better. But uh, nonetheless, our study actually showed a non-significant decrease in fat mass. So uh, even though it's not significant, if you would ask me, would I rather have a scary significant increase in fat mass or a non-significant decrease in fat mass, what our study essentially is saying is that we're pretty confident you are not increasing fat mass with this subsequent increase in body weight. And it probably is from other meta-analysis and from other studies that Scott and others have done. It probably is lean body mass, but we can say it's probably not fat mass, which is a good thing. Yeah. So the those that did resistance training and took creatine, they lost about a half a kilogram more fat mass compared to those that just did resistance training. So it wasn't statistically different, which is important in this kind of the science world. Mm -hmm. um, so we can't say there's actually a difference between if you take creatine or not and perform resistance training. 
on fat loss, but it was at least heading in that direction. Mm -hmm. So they lost a half kilogram more fat mass when they took creatine. And what was the period of time that they that you followed them? Yeah, so this was another meta-analysis where we oh, looked at okay. all the studies okay. out yeah. in the liter literature. And again, most of them were around 12 weeks in duration. The shortest study that we included was, I believe, seven weeks in duration. Mm -hmm. And the longest one was up to 52 weeks or mm -hmm. one year. Okay, yeah, because some of those muscle growth ones, you said, were quite a bit longer than that, right? Yeah, so it takes it takes time to grow, mus grow muscle, and it also takes time to lose weight mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. So, um, yeah, we wanted to, the minimum for our study to be included in our review was they had to be at least five weeks. Mm -hmm. So that was the absolute minimum. Right. And like I said, the shortest one was seven weeks, and the longest was 52 weeks or one year, yeah. There would obviously be quite a bit of individual variation between. This mm -hmm. is all the different studies which have a number of subjects in them, but then you add all of those participants together to get the meta-analysis. So that's where the smaller average numbers, but probably some vari variation in individual differences across all of those studies as well, or depending on the length maybe. And yeah, because each individual study, they typically, especially when you do training studies, they have a small sample size. So there's a risk of some, some error essentially, or some bias within those. And so these meta-analysis are good because you get more subjects, like you combine a whole bunch of studies together, you get more subjects into a single statistical analysis, and you're more certain of the final answer mm -hmm. when you do that. So you're more confident that it represents what it should represent at that point. So the total number of subjects that were included into our review was 609 subjects. So that's a fairly decent number mm -hmm. of subjects, but it was across 19 studies. So we put them all together into the meta-analysis. I was going to ask the personal question, right? So I've been working on weight loss and working on fitness. I'm not very good at sleep, but when is the time that then I would start looking at a supplement to enhance that? That is a good question. <laughs> um, so Scott and I were sort of talking about this before, and uh, I would say Scott is more of the creatine researcher. Um, and then I was saying I worked with some strength athletes or some athletes, and they that's a common question, right, is when should I add creatine or should I add creatine? And I guess my first would be sort of, well, consult your registered dietitian. But I would say kind of if you're already successfully meeting some of the exercise and, and nutrition goals and you're kind of getting to a point where maybe you're reaching a plateau, I encourage people to try to get to that point before then maybe adding it. Because everybody has sort of that new pep in their step for the first three months. And if you can't last that three months, then the creatine's probably not helping you anyhow. But maybe you go three or four months and you get to this point and now oh, the numbers aren't going up in terms of what I can lift. Now all of a sudden you add creatine and the science would say, yes, there's probably a, a small but significant effect that that can have. But I think there's also placebo effects and things. Whereas as a strength coach, I don't really care if it's the creatine or the placebo. If you now all of a sudden have a new pep in your step for the next six months, then that's right. a good thing, right? right? So that would be sort of my very general recommendation. Mm -hmm. But Scott, yeah, I, I would agree. Hit the sledgehammers first for at least a, a period of time. Um, so try to sleep, you know, eat real food and exercise consistently okay. before you'd even consider a supplement. And there's so many supplements out there and most of them don't work. So, okay. and if they yeah. do work, it's usually a very small effect. I don't know. I think a lot of like 
for a mature person, I'm more interested in feeling like I at a, a good weight and I, my body mass feels good and I'm able to do the things I wish to do. I'm not, you know, prepping for a competition on bodybuilding or anything like that. So I'd be, I'd have to really feel that the benefits of of taking a supplement would move me towards whatever goal I had set beyond this naturally feeling better and healthy and active. Were there other benefits besides muscle mass increase? Yeah, so there's there's more and more research coming out with creatine. Um, There's it's actually been implicated enhancing cognition. Yeah, I read something about Alzheimer's. Yeah, so Alzheimer's. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) That was all you needed. We know in an Alzheimer's brain, there's actually lower creatine levels. Yeah. And so there's some theory that it might actually improve perhaps memory or learning in those that have Alzheimer's. But I'm actually unaware of any human studies that have looked at creatine on cognition in Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. per se. There's been some studies in in healthy individuals or aging individuals that have shown uh, some improvements in in cognition. (laughs) There's also some potential benefits on improving bone strength as well. Mm-hmm. So you can get stronger bones. At the University of Saskatchewan and the University of Regina, they're just finishing up a two-year study with creatine and resistance training versus just resistance training on postmenopausal women looking at bone adaptations. Mm-hmm. And they've shown some improvements in uh, some of the markers of bone strength mm-hmm. in the creatine group compared to the placebo group. So there seems to be some other potential benefits to creatine besides just getting bigger muscles. So we'll have to stay tuned in the next few years and we'll learn more probably. And and real food for creatine is like red meat? Yeah, so beef, salmon, herring, cod, so things like that contain a fairly high Mm -hmm. amount of creatine. But to get the dosages that are typically used in the research studies, you'd have to eat quite a lot of those to actually get get enough. Like you'd have to eat like two and a half pounds of salmon a day, for example. So that's that's a challenge for for even (laughs) you, Bob. That's a challenge. It truly is. Um, So it's this that, is probably one of the supplements where it's, to get enough, probably necessary to supplement with mm-hmm. it. That's another one of the interesting things, too, is that the average person on a, a regular omnivore diet will see a benefit from creatine supplementation, but because of the lack of meat, vegetarians will actually see even more benefit in some studies because they're potentially already have lower levels of creatine, whereas someone who is eating meat regularly will have a little bit higher regular levels of creatine. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I was just so relieved you don't have to take my shirt off. I want to see a handstand. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Research Connection oh, yeah, podcast. You here. can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode. And for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.